All right, thanks. Okay, um, thank you guys uh, for coming today. I'm gonna try something a little, a little different today. So, uh, let me start in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, one God, amen. Um, I wanna start with a story, I wanted to start with a, stor a story today. Um, it's actually one of my, uh, someone I look up to, he's actually one of my favorite basketball coaches. His, his name's Monty, Monty Williams. Uh, Monty Williams, he's currently the head coach of the, the Phoenix Suns. He was in the he played in the NBA when we were younger uh, as a basketball player. He played for the University of uh, of Notre Dame um, and uh, had a pretty good NBA career. And then I think has become a uh, an incredible leader and a coach. Um, but this week, around February 9th, uh, 2016, this week is the anniversary of something that happened to him uh, that I thought was pretty pretty amazing in his response. So on February 9th, 2016, about seven, seven years ago, uh, he was coaching in his career, he's coached in a few different cities. He coached in, he was at this moment, an assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, he's just at work one day. They have, he's married to his wife with five kids. His wife's name is Ingrid. They have five kids. He met his wife at Notre Dame when they were in college, when he, was, when he got recruited and he played there. They met in freshman year in the dorms uh, and uh, had a long relationship. On February 9th, she's driving three of the kids uh, around doing errands, right? Just during, during the course of the day, he's at work. He gets a call, finds out she was in a massive car accident. So on the freeway, there's another woman named Susan Donaldson in the story uh, who is going, sorry, on just on a regular street, but she's going uh, about 80 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone, high on methamphetamines with her dog on her lap, um, driving, again, wrong way of traffic, Ingrid Williams is driving this way, swerves, right, into the center of the, into the center partition. Susan Donaldson drives off the road and immediate, is immediately killed. Her and her dog are immediately killed. Uh, Ingrid Williams and the three children are rushed to the hospital. The three children survive the accident. Ingrid Williams passes away later that evening in the hospital. So this is Coach Monty Williams' wife. This is, again, about, about seven years ago. Right afterwards... It probably, you know, within five, six days, the funeral happens, and coach comes up to give the eulogy. Uh, the eulogy is now in front of 900 people, right? I mean, imagine someone who's been in the NBA for that long, or someone who has that many network and relationships that, that he's built. Um, it's, an, it's an auditorium full of, full of people, right? So he came and he gave this, uh, this eulogy a few days later, again, in front of 900 people, and in the last seven years, they immediately, when this video of his eulogy came out, I've probably watched it at least two to three times a year. Uh, it, was, it was that powerful. It was something that um, really affected me then and I really wanted to share with all of you now, you know? And so, uh, again, for, in context, right, Coach Williams, and this currently right now, he's the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Um, last year was NBA Coach of the Year. Uh, last year, someone who's, again, kind of achieved in a worldly sense in a lot of ways, um, but that's not why I'm talking to you about him today, right, and why we want to hear him uh, speak. But I think we should take some time to hear this. I'm thankful for uh, all the, the, the people who showed up today. Uh, it's a pretty tough time, not just for me, but for all of you as well. And I'm, I'm mindful of that. Um, I'm thankful for my, my family. Uh, my children have been unbelievably um, resilient uh, this past week. Um, all of my relatives who've flown and drove and uh, many friends, uh, some people flew in for the day 
uh, just to spend a few hours with me and didn't even get that accomplished. Uh, but it's, it all uh, is well received by my family and especially me. The Bible says in Psalms uh, 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I think that's what we've done, uh, and that's what Ingrid would have wanted. Psalm 73.1 says God is good. And 1 John 4.16 says God is love. During times like this, it's easy to forget that because what we've gone through is pretty tough and it's hard and we want an answer. And we don't always get that answer when we want it. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us. And that's what my wife and that's what I try to, um, however badly, <laughs> exhibit on a daily basis. But God does love us. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins. And I, for one, know that I'm not the man that you guys see every day. And only God could cover that. He loved me so much that he gave me a wife that loved every part of me. And she fit me perfectly. And I know different players that I've had over the years probably got tired of me talking about my wife. But I used to always think to myself, like, who else was I going to talk about? So that never bothered me. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I know this because I've seen this in my life. See, back in 1990, at the University of Notre Dame, I had a doctor look me in the face and say, you're going to die if you keep playing basketball. And I had testing done, test after test, shipping me all over the place to try to figure out a way for me to play. And it didn't work out. And I kept that from Ingrid. She knew I was having some tests done, but she didn't know the severity of the situation. So my career was over at the age of 18. And we had a press conference, and I left the press conference um, by myself, and I went to her dorm room, and I told her what happened. And the very next word out of her mouth, words out of her mouth after we um, probably cried a little bit, she said, honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. 
And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office. Uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. why that was so proud, right? It's a few tears. It's hard. That's a hard one to watch. Two, three times a year I watch this just because <clears throat> for a few things. And I think there's a lot of things you can unpack out of that, right? So you hear coach talking. Either we could talk about death. We could talk about loss. We could talk about uh, courage. You could talk about resilience. You could talk about, there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, like 10, 10 different topics we could take out of a, unpack out of a, out of a, a, a thing, a six minute eulogy that he gave right, five days after his wife died without crying, and we're all crying, right, right now. And not only just died, but the fact that she was killed in this car accident. So, <clears throat> but for me, what I take away out of this is that he spent the last, the entire last part of the eulogy dedicated to the fact that he wanted all 900 people in that room to forgive the woman who did this. <sighs> That's hard, right? That's hard. That's a hard one to figure out. 
<clears throat> so he also said this. Again, he's one of my role models. I think someone I looked up for a while. He said something else in another talk he gave another time. He said, everything you want in life is on the other side of hard. You always say this. Everything you want is life is on the other side of hard. And I think we need to redefine hard, right? I think we need to redefine what hard is. I think, I think we need to redefine what he was trying to say here. He said, let's not lose sight of what's important. I have five kids with this woman who I've been with since I was 18 years old, my freshman year in college. But what's important is that we forgive the person who did this, right? So I think it's important that we redefine of what we hear him say of let's not lose sight of what's important. Everything wants on the other side of hard. You know, it's like Peter Tosh said, everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Everything we want is on the other side of hard, right? Everything we want to do is define, right, what hard is in these situations. So what is hard? You know, what's difficult, right? Our egos on a daily basis, right? Our, re- our egos on a daily basis are, are offended. I'm offended every five minutes of my life, right? I hope, I'm sure you are too, right? Because the false self that we live in, we're offended every few minutes, I'm offended by, I'm still, I haven't forgiven my wife for not putting away her cup of tea, you know, uh, off, uh, you know, off the counter in the shelf this morning, right? God, God bless her, she can't put, a cup of, can't put the cup of tea away. I'm still mad at the schmohawk in front of me who's still texting on his phone, right? Because, you know, with the light's green and he's still staring down at his phone and he can't move, right? I'm still mad at that person from this morning, right? Yeah, Coach Williams is able to forgive <laughs> this woman, right? Whose actions, right, and misactions murdered his wife, Right? We think about that. So then what is hard? What is hard? And I think for us in this world, then I think we have to start thinking about achievement is not hard. Achievement is not hard in life, right? Getting your PhD, not hard, right? I want to redefine that, right? You want to graduate from, from Acts, get a theological degree? Great, right? That's not hard, right? You're a doctor, you're going to perform surgery, save someone's life, that's not hard. Nice job, right? You were trained to do that. You know what's hard? You could do all that. All of these things that we've all achieved collectively in this room, all those things, right, can be seen as hard in this life. I don't think that's hard. You know what's hard is forgiveness. I think forgiveness is hard. I think actually trying to be Christ-like is hard. That's what is hard, right? So when we talk to our children, right, especially because it's an adult meeting, right, when we talk to our children and we say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think it's time we start reframing that question into who are you going to be in this life? What kind of person are you going to be? Not what are you going to be? We start judging people off of the fact. I didn't put this person up here to listen to him talk today because he's the NBA coach of the year, right? Because he's one of the most talented coaches in the, in the league. It's for something that he could do that he would say it's really hard for him to dedicate all his life to basketball and the things that he's able to call it. That's hard. That's what he's going to say is hard. But he never said that's hard, right? He said, this is hard. This is hard. And the fact that he had to challenge 900 people to forgive this person who did this thing to this family, he said, that's what he's saying is hard. Not the hours, the 82-game season, the playoffs, all those other things. That's easy. This is hard. So when we talk to our children, let's redefine hard. Let's redefine what, what's difficult. Because I know in my life, I can achieve a lot of things, but I can't, again, I still can't forgive the, the things that are happening in my home. I can't forgive the guy on the road. I can't forgive the, the person who's going to offend me five minutes after this talk that I'm still thinking about, that I'm still holding a grudge over, right? That's where we're at in this life. Another story, 2018, two years later, right? The first story I told you was in 2016. 2018, there was a op- police officer. Maybe you, some of you may have seen this story, right? In 2018, this police officer in North Dallas, off-duty, off-duty police officer, you know the story, huh? Coming home late at night um, after, after, not be, not, uh, after a shift, right? But she's off-duty at this time. 
walks into the wrong apartment, right? Thinks this apartment's hers. The door happens to be unlocked. She thinks it's her apartment, right? Walks in the door. There's somebody sitting on what she believes is her couch, right? In her, in her home, eating ice cream and watching TV. She pulls out her gun, shoots him, right? Kills him on the spot. Later realizes, right? That this is not my home, right? This person was not an intruder. I was just in the wrong place, right? That's not the story, right? This is what happened. She goes on trial, right? Dallas Police Department, right? This whole thing is the whole story in, in the state of Texas. Then at the trial, she gets convicted, sentenced to, you know, a long sentence for, uh, for manslaughter. At the trial, the young, name, the young man's name, the victim, the young man's name victim, his name was John Brandt. John Brandt's brother, right? John Brandt's brother at the end, when she received her sentence, ran over to the other side of the courtroom and gave her a hug. Gave her a Bible and said, God forgives you. <clears throat> and what's really interesting about this to me, sorry, I'm, I'm bad at this, I apologize. Um, what's really interesting about me is then when the story comes out, right, so the brother of the victim goes, hugs her, says, hey, we forgive you. As a family, we forgive you. The judge comes out, right? For those of you who read the story, right? The judge comes down and he was criticized for this, right? The judge came down and gave her the Bible off of, the, off of his pulpit, right? And, and gave her the Bible and said, take this with you to prison, right? While you deal with this, God, God forgives you, right? And then what the mainstream media did is decided, this is why I wanted to put this headline up here and so you could also hear the story. They said, we're going to have a debate over forgiveness. Because of this situation, we're going to spark a debate over forgiveness. And to think about some of the things I've talked about in these Zill Talks in the past, this is why the world, the justice system, our political system, they are not of us. These are two different things. So you imagine we live in a world that says, maybe we should forgive, maybe we shouldn't. When we know our commandment is clear, right? Our commandment is crystal, crystal clear in our life, right? It's crystal clear what Christ would do in this situation. It's crystal clear. The same person wearing a you know, WWJD wristband is the one who's writing this article, right? Saying, let's, de- let's debate whether or not this person should be forgiven, right? It sparks a debate over forgiveness. This was a controversy, right? It was a controversy. The judge got in trouble, right? You know, he, he got letters of people, people were saying, there's a sparks this controversy. That's why we can't fit into this political system. That's why we can't fit into this justice system. There's no justice, right? St. Isaac the Syrian says there's no justice. There's only mercy, right? There's only mercy. There's no justice that exists. We're not going to find justice in this situation. The family's not going to feel better, right? And there's no justice will be served. Ten years in prison, 12 years in prison. Is that going to be justice in this situation? There's only mercy that we can have, right? I encourage you. I've talked about St. Isaac the Syrian before. He, he, he talks about just, with justice, Right? We'll never find justice on this earth. All we can find is mercy, right, when this comes. I'm going to take it one step further, sorry. It's a dramatic day for me, all right? Forgive me so we can laugh a little, all right? Um, I'll take this another step further, okay? Teaching history, when I get get a a little squirrely at night, right, when I was a history teacher, um, I found this book. This This is a book of the known testimonies of uh, slaves. The only people who were enslaved in the United States, um, there was a collection of their writings. This took a lot of work by historians. It's like one of the very few things, places where you can find a lot of these. And this is filled with like, you know, sometimes a person's diary, sometimes a correspondent with um, uh, a family member or a friend. Um, all kinds of letters are being written. And this is, you know, again, very, very difficult to find and it was very difficult to pass down. 
Well, I, when I get squirrely at night, I'll read some of these. I'll read a letter, right, from, from uh, a former slave here in the United States. And I'll read you an excerpt from this one, because this is incredible. What happened is, after the Emancipation Proclamation, and actually before the Emancipation Pro- Proclamation, any runaway slaves or slaves that would escape their homes or be freed afterwards would write letters back to their former masters. They would write a letter to the person who was their enslaver. They'd go back and they'd write a letter to their enslaver. And you'd be amazed at the letters that some, somebody would write back to their enslaver after being enslaved by them for a while. Right? And the reason that picture's up there, too, is one of the things that I always thought was interesting is the Bible was used in both ways. During the time of slavery here in the United States, slavers would hold the Bible in their hand, and that's what you see in the picture. He's holding the Bible in his hand while he's brutalizing the person in front of him. And a lot of times, slavers were known to even recite Bible verses during whippings and punishments to justify their actions. Right? And then in these letters, in this documentation you find of some of these slaves, you'll find that after they, that person was using the Bible, using God, using Jesus' name to punish and to brutalize this person, that they would be home praying to that same God, to that same Jesus, right, in that same place. That a, big, a huge part of spirituality in the South was bred from right, the culture that was built in during, during slave times. Right? So here's this one letter from, I'll only write a little bit. This guy's name is Henry Bibb. He escapes the plantation he was a slave on uh, as, a, uh, as an older man with a wife and with children, escapes to Canada. He writes this letter while he's in Canada. So he's writing back. Somehow he got his trans- this letter uh, while he's living in Canada back to his enslaver in the South. And he says, Dear Sir, I'm happy to inform you that you're not mistaken in the man whom you sold this property and received pay for as such. But I thank God, I thank God, that I am not property now. I am regarded as a man just like yourself. And although I live far north, I am enjoying comfortable living by my own industry. If you should ever by chance be traveling this way, please call on me. I will use, the, I will use you, I'll slow down, I will use you better than you did me while you held me as a slave. Think not that I have any malice against you for the cruel treatment which you inflicted on me while I was in your power as it is, was the custom of your country to treat your fellow man as you did, and me and my little family, I can freely forgive you. <clears throat> Try to sleep after you read that. I can freely forgive you. He goes on to say, my prayer shall be to God that we may meet in heaven where parting shall be no more. Can you imagine that? Somebody, and I won't read the rest because it's gruesome, right? And he goes into some of the stuff that this enslaver did to his, to his family beating his wife in front of him, you know, take, you know beating his, his newborn baby, right? There's, obviously, there's some stuff in here that's, that's harder to share, right? And imagine taking that person and then going back. <clears throat> hey, anytime you're around, just come on over. <laughs> if you're ever up north, hey, why don't you come over to my house? I'd love to serve you dinner. I'll treat you better than you did me. Think about that. Let that just resonate just for a little bit, right? Hey, please, just come on over to my house. Go back to Coach Williams. I forgive you. We hold no ill will to the Donaldson family. Let's keep what's important on the forefront. Let's not forget what's important. You enslaved me. You beat me. You beat my wife. You did this thing. Come over. Let's have dinner. would love to see you. I freely forgive you. Because this is the end, right? We know what the story is here. We're challenged to forgive, right? We're challenged to forgive. We know this verse in the Bible, right? We know the story from when Jesus was here. Our commandment is clear. There's no debate. There's no debate here that says, you know, should we forgive? Should we not forgive? There's no debate here, right? This is an NPR. That was on every news station, right? That was saying, that was an NPR headline I put earlier. 
Let's spark a debate over forgiveness. Let's, let's debate whether we forgive or not. There's no debate here in the Orthodox faith. There's no debate for us as Christians, right? There's no, our commandment is clear. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my brother, sin against me? And then I forgive him. Like seven times? Does that sound about right? I can forgive Michael like seven times, right? You keep offending me. I, I, Jesus, does that sound about right? Seven times I'll forgive Michael. But after seven, I'm going to hold it against him for the rest of my life. That's what Peter's asking him in this situation, right? And what's Christ's answer for him here, right? I didn't say up to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Keep going. That little thing that requires a little bit of forgiveness, right? I'm telling you to keep going. I'm telling you to keep forgiving. We're commanded to forgive. This is hard. This will work out. Remember those words. This is hard. This will work out. But we're commanded to forgive. Remember what it says in Luke, right? Remember what it says in Luke. You will be measured by how you measured, right? By how you measure, you will be measured, right? By how you measure, you will be measured. By how you forgive, you will be forgiven. That is our commandment, right? And it's crystal clear. That commandment is crystal clear. And I just pray today that with some of these examples of some of these uh, uh, people and these stories that we hear, that we can understand what we would call on this earth radical forgiveness and what Christ would call being like him, right? What we would call radical forgiveness, Christ would be like, this is following my path and this is my way. And glory be to God forever, amen. This one? Yeah, it's slave, slave testimonies. It's like, the, yeah, testimonies. It's, a, it's like a textbook, you know? It's like a textbook. Um, maybe we should pray. Will you pray for us, Usher, please?